0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied.
1: Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. I'm Manu Fed, he is Stefan Biankowski and also joining us today is Sepp Stafford-Bloff from The Athletic. Um, guests first, Sepp. How's it going? Good to have you back. It's going
0: well, man. It's nice to be back. Thanks for having me.
1: Always a pleasure. Um I mean and you've been on so frequently this season. I feel like I feel like we're almost abusing your time at this stage, but it's always <laughs> great to have you on. Uh, I'm really looking forward we have lots of great things to talk to uh, talk about today. So um yeah, I'm really looking forward to have you back on the show. And then of course, Stefan, how's it going? How's your weekend been?
2: Yeah, very, very well. Was that the athletic or the athletic? it uh, uh, well, can be both we're, yeah. we, we're a broad church yeah, I'm pretty sure and there's an, an American in ver- yeah, there's and an
1: English version yeah there's an American and uh, an English version right
2: I, I like the idea that the more the, the more time Seb spends in Germany it just slowly like naturally evolves into de-athletic
1: de-athletic athletic
2: so, you know this is this which, is, what this is, is, is the, the umbrella under which our,
0: our Bundesliga coverage comes it's de-athletic or maybe probably das-athletic really uh, Maybe athletic. It It'd be dear.
2: really, really helpful if you could just stick "d athletic" in the URL band, and it just filtered for everything Bundesliga. That'd be really. <laughs> if you could run that up the flagpole, that'd be really helpful. So,
0: yes, I. what well, I yes, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Think you might be overestimating how how uh, how much influence I have over anything that matters. <laughs> but okay. I can certainly say it out loud and see if anything happens. <laughs> I'm actually
1: really struggling with art- article to put in front of this kind of an odd one. I know it would be Das New York Times, so there you go. I think it would be
0: Das Athletic.
1: <laughs> not to correct See, your I'm... German
2: grammar, but I'm
1: not 100% sure.
2: This is why we are not sponsored by Duolingo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, shall, we, shall we get on with the show, perhaps? <laughs> you can have a think about it while you're doing the ad
1: read. Yeah, I was thinking I've to have a think about doing the ad read, so let's, let's do that. This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The holidays, holiday season is off and rolling, with NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting midseason form. Bet 9 is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. With up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, Bet 9 is in the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just the big four. BetOnline has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport, sport that is played, from MMA to international soccer. Head to the bet, head to BetOnline today, and remember to use our promo code BareLeaf that is B L E A V BareLeaf for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, guys. Well. The Friday fixture, um, we can probably just talk 30 seconds about that because I watched this game um, with a bunch of friends in Seattle who don't have much contact with the Bundesliga and I was definitely ashamed. Uh, it, it <laughs> you know the, 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 you know what the issue was with me for this game is that obviously everyone expected Bayern Munich to win this game and um, Harry Kane of course produced the goods as he so often does, right? But I don't know how you guys felt about this, but this Köln performance, especially in the last 10, 15 minutes, they made it way too easy in many ways uh, for Bayern Munich. I understand that Bayern Munich are very good and all that, right? But if you're only down by a goal, you would you, you should probably throw everything but the kitchen sink at them, right? Just to try to get a point. Because, like, who cares in the end of the day if you lose 2-0 or 3-0? Um, a 1-0 with just 10 minutes to go that should be an invitation for you to at least try and I don't know Stefan how you felt about this but I just thought this current performance there was just a, just no urgency
2: at all. Yeah I mean this is something that tends to happen a fair bit in the Bundesliga and it's something that we talk a lot about uh, you know whether it's Bochum or Darmstadt against Bayern and yeah, maybe you could you can add Cologne to this. I mean, these are obviously teams that are all struggling for relegation. Perhaps they feel like they have to pick their battles. Um, and you could also kind of flip this on its head and say, how many times do we sit on the show and talk about teams that, you know, had picked up a point against Bayern or a heroic victory against Bayern one week and then they go on and lose four games in a row because they're absolutely shattered. So I think a pragmatic head coach maybe looks at, the fixture list and thinks, well, when Bayern comes to town, maybe we don't throw everything at it, we just accept that's defeat and we move on. Anything we can get from it's a bonus and I know that kind of feeds straight into the whole kind of Farmers League nonsense that people throw at German football and that Bayern do kind of walk these things, but um, yeah, it was, it was it was a tricky game for a clone. Uh, there's, there's no kind of right way, I guess, to kind of go about it. We obviously had Matt at the game, he wrote a great write-up afterwards and um, he actually kind of praised the goalkeeper Marvin Schwaber for, his, yeah, for the amount of saves he made um, over the course of the match. So, you know, you could maybe argue that any other day you know it's a two or three nil win for Bayern. But yeah, it's it, it, it it's it, but it's 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 kind of been the nature of Cologne this season. I've I can't remember the last time I watched one of their performances and was inspired by them.
1: Yeah, so what do you think, Ian?
2: I
0: think it worried me, Manu. Like I. I agree with the point about energy conservation completely because that's the way of mm-hmm. doing football, especially if you're in a con situation now, right? You, you, you've you got to kind of target the winnable fixtures. But at the same time, you're coming off the international break. Um, strategically, you have two weeks to prepare, even if that's not physically true. And I think it's a little bit concerned. I, I, I expected Bayern to win like everybody else, but I thought they'd get rattled a little bit. And to me, having a conversation with someone else about this this morning. It feels like Colin and Baumgart are approaching a kind of union earth fisher situation. Um, it doesn't feel right um, at the moment. And I, I think Bayern played very well. I was also, some people have said that they kind of, they they took their foot off the gas. And I think offensively that's true, but I also think they showed pretty decent control. Um which uh, behind some of their results and performances has been a little bit lacking at times, um, especially in the sort of the, the first half of the first half of the season, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. They were, they looked very vulnerable. They didn't really control the ball. I mean, when they had the had possession, they never, they, they always seemed a little bit fragile whenever they lost it. Um, and that wasn't true here. So that was kind of impressive. But it was, yeah, I, I, I expect a little bit more spirit. In response, I thought they would be um I thought they would have to take a few more punches than they did. I think that's probably the way to put it. Uh Bayern's yeah. yeah, a bit concerned.
1: Bayern's XG was 3.12, 3. 12, and Curns zero point four five. So Schwiebe was very good. Um I did note that as well. He made several key saves. I think Curran's match plan to keep it tight worked really well, but you know what really, really bothers me is um that you just don't that you don't try more, and they did show it in the last, I think, five or six minutes, you know, they, they started pushing, they're like, hey, we're we'll only go down here, maybe we should try, but Stefan Baumgart, um, there were several moments on the sideline where you, where they would focus in on him, and you could tell that he was not pleased, that the energy that he was displaying on the side of the field, right, that he was there in a t-shirt, he was got a t-shirt, just with a t-shirt and like his usual hat, and like, you could see the steam coming off him, that's how hot he's running, right, and, um, I think when you're him, you must be just, for the lack of better terms, pissed about the way his, he expends his energy and you, you just don't see it translate on the field. And, you know, Stefan, that makes a really good point here. Like, when does Kern come to the point where they say, yeah, like Baumgart is an amazing coach. He has all this energy and he fits perfectly to the club, but the, the message just doesn't translate anymore.
2: It's, it's really interesting because I was speaking to someone recently about Cologne and you know we were discussing um, you know the concept of sleeping giants in German football and how um, you know so many clubs in Germany seem to be kind of bogged or, or, or kind of held down by you know you don't want to use the old stereotype about German bureaucracy, because I don't think it's bureaucracy. It's more like um, they're kind of held down by this idea that it's almost like there's so much community, there's so much kind of um, fan culture around the club that sometimes these things kind of get cemented in and before they know it, they're part of the foundations. And that's you know, actually one of the criticisms of all 50 plus one that because, um, because these... The people who end up running these clubs are democratically elected, um, and a roundabout way, they actually change positions far less often than you would find in clubs in Spain or England. And you know, we were having a discussion about Cologne because I think you can make a pretty strong argument that Cologne are obviously a club in in you know in one of Germany's biggest cities, not just the city of Cologne itself but the, the metropolitan area and you know you take a 20 mile radius of Cologne and there's about 40 million people there and you've got this club that just kind of bubbles around the bottom of the league even though it's got one of the biggest population centres in the world around it or at least in Europe and conclusion that was kind of drawn to me was that because of things like 50 plus 1 and because of the nature of Cologne as a city it's very much a kind of culture of you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours and there's not really this there's kind of there's a term idea. for
1: that Stefan do you know what it is
2: does it start with a c no it's the Kölner oh right okay I was thinking of a, I was thinking of an English word um but um well yeah and and and, and 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 you know sometimes that's a good thing and you know Cologne obviously have a very good kind of the city of Cologne is very proud of the club and they have a great fan culture and you know i think they do a lot of good there but there is these kind of there's that kind of sense sometimes when you kind of start poking around cologne you realize that nothing really changes and there's not a huge emphasis to change things and is that something that's led to bob staying in the job perhaps longer than he should have maybe i don't know whether if they could bring in someone better i'm not quite sure but there's a malaise maybe is the best word I can use that, that's been hanging over clone for some time now and I don't think it's just because of the head coach or just because of the sporting director whatever else I think, it's, I think it's a cultural thing to be perfectly honest with you at the club I
1: think so um, I think it goes much deeper than Stefan Baumgart I think he's actually probably one of the good things at the club there to be honest with you um, I think it goes higher up the ladder and um, Baumgart is not from Köln, right? He's from, I think he's from Rostock. He's from East Germany. Anyways, um, so like he wouldn't really be involved in the Kölner Klüngel is essentially, you know, to give you a rough Bavarian translation, we call it the Rheinland Mafia, which is the Rhineland, Rheinland Mafia, right? So like it's essentially a group of Cologne business people that control everything. Um, but you know, like there, there is a lot of that to be said that Cologne doesn't really allow a lot of outside influences, or likes to keep control. Or they like to do it their own way, which isn't the best way often. Um, and that is a difficult place to operate from, right?
2: Um yeah. Mario, could I could I jump in quickly before we move on to their games and just briefly yeah. go back to Hurricane for a second? Because uh, I actually did some math after the game on Friday. I was working on Saturday, and I actually decided to sit down and figure out how many goals he'll end up scoring at the end of the season. Um, would you like would you like to know? <laughs> uh so here's how I did the math. And actually, it's good that we have Seb in the show here, because so he can he can check my numbers here uh based on his Tottenham time at Tottenham. So um at this current moment in time he's scoring at one point five five one point five four league goals per ninety minutes, uh which is higher than anything he achieved in the Premier League. Um and if you kind of extrapolate that out for the rest of the season, uh, it also gives you a good number, a big number. But of course, we have to factor in games that he'll be out injured for. Um, interestingly enough, um, he's actually got a pretty good injury record at Tottenham. He's on average of the last nine seasons, he's only missed four league goals per season. Uh, so once we factor all that in, look at... Um, his current average and if he to keep if he were to keep this average uh, for the rest of the season he'd finish the campaign on 46 league goals uh, goals. in the Bundesliga, which is obviously more than the 41 goals that Lewandowski scored uh, to break the record um, which is just obviously bonkers uh, and probably certainly won't be the case Um, but if anyone's wondering what kind of average you'll have to maintain from here to end of the season to beat Lewandowski's record, it is 1.34 goals per 90, which um, honestly is a number that I think even Lionel Messi would blush at. So, I mean, it would be interesting to see if he can. I'd be amazed if he can, but uh, that's the kind of numbers we're talking about right now.
1: He needs to stay fit, right? to Get there? Or did you factor in the average of four games he's going to miss?
2: Yeah, that's factoring his four injuries that are set to that could happen between now and the end of season. And then rest as well.
1: He's going to yeah. get rest at some point.
2: Well, if he's um, chasing that, if he's chasing that record, they might not want any.
1: <laughs> yeah, the other thing that I need you need to factor into is that I think sooner or later Bundesliga defenses are like going to queue in. Right. Uh, I mean, the, you saw the same thing with Haaland who went on this berserk run at the very start. He, his, his clip is still incredible. I mean, you just did a piece of that in Transfermarkt, right? I think it's one point, one three, for Haaland, right at the moment, which is like uh, yeah, in, the, in England, yeah, 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 at the moment, right, which is still incredible. Um, but it is significantly down from what it was at the start. I think sooner or later, defensive defensive units will queue in. Um, Kane is probably still going to score more than a goal a game on average, but you know,
0: it, I think the average will come down. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, I think it's also the one of the hidden factors here is and Sine's form, just because sine has been so destructive. And whilst there is the partnership between them two of them is quite embryonic and the chemistry is quite basic and the moves between them are quite basic, I think from a um, from a defensive standpoint, the proposition the Bayern um, give you is just so much more difficult to face when you're when Sine's playing well. Like factor and missiada and how he benefits from um, The way the ball is carried or where you know kane drops into midfield um you start adding in performances of players like nabry as well um maybe thomas miller later in the season i mean that's kind of um what a useful player to have so i I think kane needs all of these things to align i don't think it's also that injury statistic so his his record over the past couple of years has been very good and that's probably brought that average down a little bit because there was a run I, th- I believe it was between about 2016 and 2019 where he was on one semi-serious ankle injury each season. And um, what happens with Kane is he has the injury, he recovers from the injury, he gets back on the pitch, but then once he's playing, he takes between about five or 10 games to to regain his fluidity. Um, he's one of those players um, historically. So I think his durability is fine. I just think, um, I also think... Um, it's going to depend upon what Bayern do in January. Like, for instance, if they if they go through January and they don't add to their midfield, if, if for instance, they don't go back in for Polina and solve that number six issue, and more importantly, just shut the narrative up a little bit around that, um, then I think it's going to be kind of unhelpful just generally from a team perspective. Um, so we'll see, but I... I, I Honestly, I, 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 think he'll do it. I think he'll do it quite easily, actually, because I, um, not to denigrate the fantastic goal scorer that Robert Lewandowski was, I just think Harry Kane's a much better footballer. Um, I think he's, he's Lewandowski's equal as a, as a finisher, but as a, an all round player, there's agree. no contest, really. Um, I don't agree with that. Ooh, edgy. Okay, I, let, let's have it out. I think Leo, I
1: top Lewandowski was incredible like, from a ball-controlling perspective, and he was, he's faster. And I think there is, that statistic is out there, that he, like, Lewandowski was a much faster player. I think Brian Lewandowski, maybe Harry Kane is still going to hit it, because Lewandowski is, like, what, four years older, right? Yeah, and Lewandowski didn't really hit it until he was 31-ish. Um, but, like, prime Lewandowski, as a footballer, he could do things from an athletic perspective that were just unreal.
0: Manny, think of it as a think of it as a component in your side, right? And totally, I'm, I'm yeah. not saying wrong. I just this is the way I'm I'm this is the prism through which I'm viewing it. In terms of like not what he's able to do physically necessarily, but what he means to your team and the kind of the butterfly effect of his contribution. I, I just right. I, I don't see a world in which I would ever take Lewandowski over Kane. At, at that's any a very different argument. That's a that's a, a very different.
1: That's the argument. one. I, maybe yeah. I
0: expressed it wrong yeah. in the first place. That, okay, that's yeah. the one I'm kind of. Okay, making, I, I,
1: I can get on board with that. Um, yeah. I think that Kane is a better team player.
0: I think he allows your team to do more. That's the thing. Like I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay,
1: I was so feel like a, yeah, yeah. If you phrase it that way, then that's uh, a completely yeah. different argument, right? I just think, it's in a from an athletic footballing perspective, I think that Lewandowski is the more talented. And Ooh, that um, I don't agree
0: with. Like, I, I, I
1: like he, he could do things that just, like, they were zlatan you know? And, like, when you see it live, it's just like, Rupert did what now? And Kane is so much more effective, but his footballing, actual footballing skills are more basic, but his basic skills are at such a high level that it just is very effective.
2: The different types of players, though, aren't they? I mean, Kane... Are, Lewandowski was a pure number nine, whereas Kane's maybe something between a nine and a 10 now. And that's kind of where he's kind of stepped up to be a world-class player, I think, in the sense that he can kind of drop back. And that's obviously allowed Bayern to have guys like Leroy Sane playing directly off him, which is something that Bayern just couldn't do with Lewandowski to the extent that, more or less by the time he'd left, you had other forwards in the team complaining about how they had to be the players that set up the goals for Lewandowski rather than being able to combine with them for for him to set them up much like Kane now does for those players um, but it, it, it I mean it's, it's, it's obviously entirely hypothetical and you know I think when I think about what both player, what both players bring to a team um, I'd say their finishing's probably about equal but in terms of actual presence in the box I actually think probably Lewandowski has more physicality i I, I don't see I don't see central to, I mean Seb, you've watched Kane a lot more than I have, so correct if I'm wrong here, but I don't see central defenders bouncing off him the same way they did with Lewandowski. Um, and, you know, you could argue whether that's important or not, I guess, depending on your team and your tactics, but, look, they're, they're different players with different, um, different attributes. Um, I think
1: that Kane is more likely to make your team better than Lewandowski, if that makes sense. So, but that goes into impact and not pure talent. I wonder if the. It's hard um, to measure. Very hard to measure, I guess.
0: <laughs> it's really hard to measure. Stefan's is an interesting yeah. one about the kind of the yeah. physicality. And I, thinking out loud, I wonder it's whether because as he's got older, like when Kane emerged, there, there was still that kind of number 10 aspect to him. But he's become, like, I, I think he's become less confrontational in the box in terms of sort of challenging batters, doing, you know, traditional number nine stuff in the penalty area. Um, and so you don't see him in those kind of contests as regularly as you probably did with Lewandowski. I was a thing, and, and this is something I got wrong for a really long time in England, but I think when, it, when he came through, I was quite guilty of looking at him as, I, I, I judging him kind of on the basis of his aesthetic rather than actually what he was uh, doing yeah. with the ball. So he would he would. Do I made things, that mistake. I was it, definitely guilty of that too. I I I think we all do it though like I think I think it's kind of you're always prisoner to what you've seen in the previous generation right and then when someone comes along you're looking for what they can't do or what they can do and you're judging them on the way they move and and Kane Kane is probably the best example I know of someone who looks like a much worse footballer than he really is just because of his body shape the way he addresses the ball also the way he runs he always looks he's always looked very clunky because right, sometimes you can watch him and you think you're watching Yang Koller, right? <laughs> well, he's actually Kane, he, Kane is a big guy. Like,
1: he's, yes, he is. Yes, yes. He he's is. Like, he's kind of like built like me. You, you, you know, for <laughs> reference, like you know me. Like he's a big, big guy. Bag. Yeah, he's a big guy. Big Bavarian man, <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't have that. But, like, that's the difference between Lewandowski. I think they're almost the same height, but Lewandowski is very thin and athletic, right? It's quite
0: willowy, isn't he? Yeah. And so he,
1: he also, that's why Kane doesn't have that speed, right? And also, I think, why he drops uh, so deep and uh, tries to be effective that way, because he simply doesn't have the same athletic ability to be as quick as Lewandowski. And I think the injury history plays a role here, too. Lewandowski was, is hard to break, right? Like, he doesn't have injuries ever. Um, so, like, he does have that ability to be just a little bit more willowy, I guess, uh, more you know, fluid. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting debate, guys. Um, we we one said that we did not to spend, expect to have on the show. <laughs> we
2: we said we were going to spend sixty seconds talking about the Bayern game, and we're now twenty five minutes into this podcast. Three hours. I think people yeah, will okay.
1: appreciate this debate. Hey, oh, by the way, yeah, before we move on to Dortmund, what do you guys think? Just leave it in the comment section, Kane or Lewandowski, and then maybe we'll make a bigger show about this, because I think this is fascinating, but we do need to talk about Dortmund. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet 9 The holidays, holiday season is off and rolling, with NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting mid-season form. BetOn9 is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. With up-to-the-minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, BetOnline is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just the Big Four. BetOnline has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport sport that is played, from MMA to international soccer. Head to to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, BLEAV, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Um, they come back victory against against Gladbach. It looked terrible to start the game with. Uh, Sepp, I think you were there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was what ha- happened? How did we go from 2 0 disaster to 3 2
0: at halftime? Well, I, I think, well, in order, we got to 2 0 because uh, Dorman were ludicrously passive. If you look at both goals, um, two really good goals, lovely run by Rocker Wrights. good ball from Allison Player, uh, similarly, really nice bit of technical football um, from Kane for the second goal. But come on, like how many touches are you going to allow a player in the penalty box without actually making a challenge? And so they kind of, Dortmund found themselves in a, it wasn't that Dortmund did anything wrong. It was that Dortmund didn't do anything for that first sort of 20 minutes and they just found themselves two 0 down. And then actually, to be honest with you, <laughs> it's kind of the same old story because if you look at the if you look at their comeback, certainly the first two goals of it, it is typical of B under Terzic, which is your moments come from individual expression, right? So the Sabitzer goal is really nice bit of skill from Julian Brandt, really nice bit of skill like this, just classic Brandt the way he goes past the player and it stands up to the far post, um, and the second goal is hey this is an interesting question for both of you actually because i didn't know that Nicholas fulkrug had that finish in his locker we, he i want to finish it, in his locker He's still I most I, I, under <laughs> i am not oh, going to interrupt your flow your, your propaganda but okay <laughs> i'm a I'm a, I'm a i'm a big Nicholas fulkrug fan i think the
1: niklas fulkrug is really unlucky that his skill set as a number 9 was basically not in demand for the, in the bundesliga over the last 10 years Stefan knows this I've made this argument before what what would Fulguk be as a player if his type of a footballer would have actually been in demand maybe five or six years earlier the reason why Fulguk's career started so late in the Bundesliga or he got time clubs actually spent time trying to develop him is because Bundesliga clubs didn't play with players like him
2: yeah I mean I, I can agree with certain to an extent like I, that, I thought that I mean the finish was delightful um especially at that moment in a game it's just it i think it just sums up how absolutely incredible it's not even just the goal itself it sums up how incredibly like stunning football can be at times where in the midst of all this chaos in the midst of this like gut-wrenching battle between two teams just throwing everything at the wall uh this and let's be honest he's an absolute brute of a player okay like i don't mean i don't mean a derogatory term i mean like like in terms of the way he he's plays. He's a bull. He's a bull of a yeah. forward, right? He's Sorry, he's, bull, yeah, he's bulls, a much, bull's a better word for it. This deft touch just... Was it with the outside of the foot? And he just the way yeah. he just kind of yeah. like lifts it. It was absolutely incredible goal. Um, so the finesse was also, incredible.
0: He knows where the goalkeeper is, Stefan. So like, you, you get the knockdown from bynoe Gittens. And I, I didn't really appreciate this uh, until I saw the replay, which is kind of a measure of it because it will happen so quickly. bynoe Gittens with a knockdown. Like, full crew... For like amateur hopeless players like us, so you you read the knockdown from your teammate, and in your peripheral vision, you see where the goalkeeper where, where Nicholas is and what he's not covering, and then you have the presence of mind to produce that
2: finish. That's just a brilliant bit of football. Um, can we talk about can we talk about the knockdown as well? Um, yeah, I don't think I've seen a single Dortmund player do that this season. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, in the comments, but that felt very on Dortmundly because we're talking about <laughs> a team here who have actually really struggled to create goals this season um, and they've had I mean Terzic has played probably 10 or 12 different combinations of wide players this this, uh, this season and all of a sudden they go route one, Bino Gittins who, let's be honest, isn't really known as a target man of sorts, shall we say and yeah, he just know, kind of chests the ball into the path of the striker to volley at home um, very on Dortmund day, um, but yeah, what a goal
1: but that's that's a frustrating thing about Dortmund because let, let's be honest, we all know they can do this and they just don't do it often enough.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how bad I thought Dortmund started off. I thought after twenty minutes, I was seriously thinking, are they going to sack him after this game? That's and I'm, 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 I'm and I'm not saying that to be dramatic because I thought the manner in which they lost those two games before the international break and the discussions that have been going on behind closed doors and in the public around Dortmund right now in terms of you it's know the, the players fact
1: that It's the Stefan which make I think that is the really worrisome part
2: Well yeah there's all this stuff about how Sebastian Kale and Terzic don't get on in terms of transfers and how Kale and uh, you know Vatka's trying to put Kale in a box and get him to kind of follow the company line and things then you have players going off on international duty saying oh well it's such a joy to play this type of football with my national team because I don't get to do this with Dortmund and Then, you know, Interzic gives his press conference and says, you know, we've all worked very hard during the international break to make up for mistakes, and, you know, fans are going to see something different, and, you know, we promise this is going to be a lot better, and then 20 minutes in, Coney is just walking through that Dortmund box as if there's nobody there, firing home a goal, and it's as if nothing has changed. And at that point, you know, I did seriously think, well, what else can Dortmund do here except sack the head coach? Because... They're already at the title race and at this rate they won't even be pushing for top four. Um now, I mean, maybe I'm being cynical here. I don't actually think the four goals that preceded those two goals makes a huge amount of difference because the two the manner in which they, they conceded those two goals is the thing that continues to hold this team back rather than the four goals that were scored. Well,
1: I'm glad you're um, saying that because it's it's been this thought forward, right? If they play like this against uh Milan on Tuesday, which is the big game, which will define a big part of the rest of the season. Because, bottom line is, they beat Milan, they're through to the next round of the Champions League, right? Um, they don't beat Milan or they lose that game. Um, they have to basically beat PSG on the final match day of the group stage. Um, so, there's a lot at stake. But, guys, like, Stefan, because you already have this narrative in your head, a performance like the one against Gladbach you go down 2-0 against Milan, that's game over.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I'm aware that Seb hasn't said anything for a few minutes, so I'll I'll be brief here and let Seb jump in, but um, I'm not sure how much actually rests on the Champions League result because Dortmund in recent years just don't seem to and I, I think it's a detriment to their lack of ambition as a club to be perfectly honest but they don't seem to get ho- that hot and bothered about missing out on the Champions League and the targets that should be set for themselves as the a club so for example I, I just don't think they're going to turn around and sack Terzic if he doesn't make it to the last 16 I'll put it that way but um, even if they maybe they should but my my issue and I, I guess this is where the frustration is born out of is that I feel like Dortmund and Vasco are so desperate to make Terzic the next Jurgen Klopp, and you can see why they think that because he's a very likable guy, he's all smiles. You know, he's he, I don't I know Klopp technically wasn't you know Dortmund through and through, but he made himself Dortmund through and through very quickly by you know becoming a fan favorite. And Terzic obviously has a lot of stock oh, with the fans.
1: Stefan Klopp grew up a Dortmund fan.
2: Well, yeah, well, okay, fine, but I mean, I guess what I was making was he came from Mainz initially, but sure. Either way, you know that's what he all yes he, he had all that on his side, and you can see why the Dortmund board look at, at, at Terzic and think, you know tick 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 he ticks all those boxes. The fundamental difference is that Klopp had a very clear tactical plan for how to win games, yeah. and he and he stuck to that plan. And the issue I have with Terzic is that he has no tactics. It's you know we talk about this all the time, but we've now this is now what our third season we've watched Terzic play as Dortmund head coach and I still couldn't tell you what his favourite formation or tactics are and I think that's the fundamental flaw with him as this talking coach they don't seem to have a plan A, a plan B or even a plan C
1: You know Sepp, just to colour you in here before you jump in we had this question at the Q&A part last week and Stefan and I really struggled to answer it the question was um, what's Eden Tessich's playing style? I don't think we could answer it Sepp, are you any smarter than us?
0: No, no, definitely <laughs> not. Um, but then I, I, I think, I think maybe the question is wrong. I think the reason we ask what Edin Terzic's playing style is is because of where he's coaching. Where so the context, obviously, any Dortmund manager exists in is is right system based football. You're going to win games through your system rather than necessarily through your individuals, or at the very least, your system is going to make and embolden individual players. Whereas I've always. I've always thought sort of Terzich's success depends upon putting his individual players in position to win games or like giving them the license to go and do that, whether that and, and, and over time, it feels like that's become less and less sensible because the individual players aren't as good. Like there is no Bellingham, there is no Holland, there is no Sancho. I know many United fans will laugh at that, but Sancho is terrific in the Bundesliga and I won't hear it otherwise. Um and you look at that side now, Brand. okay, maybe, um, but you don't have that caliber of individual player at the moment. And also, you know, I, I think if we're going to criticize Terzic, then I, I think there are a couple of individual players there who, who also need to uh, share in the accountability. I, I thought Matt Hummels on Saturday was, um, like, it's, always, it's the, the typical Hummels ratio. He, he does enough technical stuff to be impressive. And then some of the fundamental stuff is less impressive. Or you know, there's a lot of shouting and pointing and and you know, being demonstrative. And there's the occasional nice sidestep through a, a pressing line. And then you know, a 15-yard pass that goes straight off, straight out of the touchline. Um, it it's not it's not quite of the right standard. And Hermos is by no means um, the worst defender. We just notice him because he plays for Germany. Um, I I don't think okay. I'm not entirely convinced that Ryerson is good enough for this level. Like if, if, if we, if we're saying that the bar for Dortmund is to compete with Bayern every year and to go to the latter stage of the Champions League, Ryerson, nah, I don't know. Urs Chan, don't know. Emery Chan, on a good day, sure, fine. Um, I don't know that Donny Marlin is, is, I think he's a very nice sort of seven out of 10 player. Um, I don't see him having the ceiling of someone like an Adeyemi, for instance. Um, I think Bainer-Gissens probably has a bit more potential too, um, if he can stay fit. Hilaire, Full Krug, I. It's not like... The ingredients aren't the very best, I don't think. It's not as interesting a squad as, 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 as Terzic could possibly have, and I, I think it just doesn't suit him. And this is the great irony, because I think you're, you're both right. I think Dortmund desperately want him to be the okay. guy.
1: Okay, it's, let's do something hypothetical here then, right? Um, Dortmund could have signed a lot of the guys that ended up at Leverkusen, right? Whether it's a Boniface or Grimaldo, they were both, and Shaka as well. Three guys that could have ended up um, on the Leverkusen squad. Do you think Terzic would get the same amount out of these three guys than Javi Alonso? Uh, you, you can both answer it, but Sepp, I interrupted you, so you can
0: go first. But I personally can't see it. But what do you think? Um... Well, then narrow it down to Xhaka because I, I spoke to Xhaka just after he signed for Leverkusen and it really struck me the reverence with which he spoke about Alonso. And I I, I, I don't know this, but it just seems unlikely that um, he would have the same level of admiration and, and as a result, the same level of buy-in for Eden Terzic. So I'm going to say no, I, I, I don't think so. I think there would have been an uplift. I think, for instance, I think Hoffman would have been a, a, an excellent... BFLB player, um, because Hoffman is an excellent footballer. But obviously, he's he, you know harder to go from Gladbach to Dortmund. Um,
2: but uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think they all went to the right place for their careers. Do you know, do you know the, the difference between Leverkusen and Dortmund there, specifically with Xhaka, is that... Um, and, and I agree, I actually spoke to Xhaka too recently, and when you ask him why he moved there, he'll happily spend 10 minutes talking to you about this the intricacies of what Jabi Alonso asked him to do every game. Um, you know, he's working with a very, very talented tactician there. And Terzic simply isn't that. And, you know, you can argue about how many of these average players are playing below par um till the cows come home, but at the end of the day there's one common factor and all that, and that's the that's the head is trying to get a song out of them. Um I've been actually I was kinda of nodding along, Seb, as you were talking about the players who you've wondered weren't good enough and I go one better and say I'm beginning to wonder whether Nico Schlotterbeck is even good enough to play for Dortmund. Um, you know, we were discussing we were discussing this in the subscriber chat uh, during the game, and people were saying, "Oh, you know, another kind of hiccup from Schlotterbeck there for the first goal."
1: I think. And, but, I think but, I, Nico Schlotterbeck would be a different player with an Anzo Stefan.
2: Well, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Look at Jonathan Pepper. Um, Look at Jonathan Pepper. That's a great but example you could look right at there. but look but then Schlatter then goes to the German national team and he still looks like Bambi on ice. So yeah, but you know
1: it's your club form that that your club form. You, it's so hard to shake your club form when you're in a national team.
2: Yeah, I, I mean I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's it happens over and over and over again. And where Dortmund were hoping that they could sign a young, talented player who could inspire the team more often than not, the rest of that defence are actually having to compensate for his mistakes week in, week out. And it's not a team that can compensate for mistakes because everyone else in that team is also making mistakes. So it's... I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, you could bring a head coach in, a better head coach, and they probably could make a lot of these players play a lot better. Um, But maybe it's a case of... I quite like Schlotterbeck, Stefan. I'm surprised there. Like, I I
0: just... I I completely agree with your kind of summary of his form. I just don't... When you see him play at his best, you think, "Right, that player exists." Okay, so and, and the Jonathan Tara example is a good one because it's about like you need to need to put the right bits around him. Like I remember, you guys remember the um the the Germany documentary on Amazon where they're picking through the bones of the Japan game at the World Cup. And Flick turns to him and says something like, you know, Schlotti, was machst du? You know, and it's like, no, 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 You you put the player in this position to fail. And it is your place here to to kind of to to give him the instruction that he needs, the coaching to kind of to to, to kind of fulfill his potential. And I feel he's in that category. I, I, I love watching him play. Like I, you know, sometimes I wince watching him play like we all do, but there there's something there, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, maybe. My, my concern is just that there's, there's just so many mistakes in his game. And it's the kind of fundamental defensive stuff that, um, again, maybe a good head coach can maybe iron out. But I do kind of wonder if he's kind of been fast-tracked as an impressive young defender because of his technical ability, because of his attacking ability, rather than because he's actually a solid defender. And then in some ways, maybe the wool's been pulled over our eyes to an extent here you know, because, because every time he can go three or four games with mistakes, but hey, wow! Did you see that forty-yard goal? Forty-yard goal he scored, <laughs> or that cross-field pass? But he's twenty-three.
1: And... He's only twenty-three, and I, I think center backs mm-hmm. just need more time to mature. And you well, know, he doesn't have any time be...
2: because he's starting yeah, for Dortmund but... in Germany, so exactly. he has to be ready.
1: But then he needs to be in a put in a place where he has the ability to mature and there needs to be pieces put around him that can give him the ability to be playing at a level that he needs, to be in a comfort zone where he can develop. And you know what? I I, I watched um I was in Seattle this weekend, right? With my with two of my friends who are huge Man United fans, so I had to watch a Man United game this weekend. Um And we were talking about how Man United sign good players and they get worse. And I call it the Man United syndrome, right? Um, Because all these pieces that they sign, they're all fundamentally good players. Whether it's Sancho, Onana, all these guys, right? And then they get worse. Borussia Dortmund have the Man United syndrome. They sign players and they get worse. Um, You know, you can make an argument maybe that some of them, Ben Zabaini, for example, weren't maybe good signings to begin with. Nico Schlotterberg, fundamentally a really good signing. Daniel Marlin, I thought... Really good signing at the time. It took forever for him to get used to this uh, to Dortmund. Karim Adeyemi. Everyone in Germany wanted Karim Adeyemi. He goes to Dortmund. He's he hasn't been the player that anyone expected to be, including professional scouts and head coaches. So why do players get worse at Dortmund? Why do they? Why are they not able? Rather than right when you when you look at your potential, there's a there's a bottom and there's a top. And players that go to Dortmund with like a range of potential are more likely at the moment to hit the bottom rather than the top. And why is that? That's because the surroundings and the, the environment that they are being placed in, is just not good enough for them to reach that level of potential that they, that they can all fundamentally play at. Is that, a, is that a harsh criticism on my part or what, what do you guys think?
2: So feel free to jump in. This I think Seb answered <laughs> the question already. It's 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 the coach or maybe it's the it's, yeah. it's the it's the it's the players that have been I, signed. Well, i i would I would say it's both because it's like
0: if you're, you know, there, there's two problems, right? It's that Adiemi a great example, Manny, because uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I thought Adi Amy would already be a superstar. Uh, I, I thought he was a fantastic player um, when I watched him play in Austria. Like when you, when you kind of periodically drop onto the Champions League radar, you just thought, God, this guy is you know, going to be something. Um, now, if a player doesn't succeed or, or if a player doesn't kind of um, evolve in the way that you think, it's it's the wrong player being treated in the wrong way. And they're both factors, aren't they? Like you you, you need to have... Um, your talent ID needs to be aligned with whatever your coaching staff will intend to do. So you... It, it, it feels weird and it kind of, it implies that there's something wrong systemically within the club in terms of... And he of, was a
1: Rosa signing uh, too, right? Adeyemi yeah, was signed exactly. and Rosa was still in charge.
2: Well, I actually did a whole newsletter on why Adeyemi doesn't work and I basically came to the conclusion that he's played in the wrong position, he's played in the wrong system. Terjic doesn't really seem to know what to do with him. Um... In my opinion, Adeyemi is a second striker. He's not a winger. Or it, it maybe you can play him as an inside forward or, or better yet, even a number nine. Uh, but he's a player who has to play off of other players. And you know Adeyemi um, or Terzic tends to play him as a winger and asks him to hug the touchline where he's completely useless. And it, it almost boils down to that kind of Sunday league mentality. Like, oh, well, that guy's fast. Stick him on the wing and see if he can run past the fullback and swing a ball in. Which is just not anything that Adi has ever done. Um, and actually, that's funny you bring up both of you bring up My United and Sancho, because I actually think that's the fundamental issue with Sancho My United too, where he's been asked to play as a winger when he's actually an inside forward. But anyway, that's a discussion for another day in a, in a different podcast. But um, yeah, to bring this back a podcast to podcast no series, clue. that issue, I would say, rather than <laughs>
0: yeah, just a single well, podcast. We're
2: going deep. We're going deep today. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deep without really probably answering any of the questions, but it's fun all, this, all the same. Um, but yeah, I mean, weirdly enough, um, they now go into a game against Milan, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, are missing Raphael Leal uh, through injury or maybe suspension. I can't remember. I think it's injury. Um, and you know, we've talked about this before, Manu, in the show, where you know, if 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 if, if we all agree that Terzic maybe doesn't have um, a rule book, shall we say, that he follows or uh, doesn't take a proactive approach to tactics. To his credit, he has looked more comfortable in the Champions League because he's just accepted that Dortmund are playing bigger teams or richer teams and that they have to set up defensively to try and combat that. And it's not looked pretty. It's looked very boring. Uh, and against PSG, it was positively dull and, and intelligent to watch but it has allowed them to pick up decent results, particularly against Newcastle and they didn't look terrible against Milan uh, in the first leg so in a kind of paradoxical way we could sit here for half an hour saying how bad Dortmund would have been but I wouldn't actually be surprised if they beat Milan this week
1: <laughs> Well they tend to do that, right? Like, in the Champions League uh, we had we had this, we were all like well, I, I didn't think uh, going into the Champions League season, that Dortmund will not qualify out of the group. Um, but you know, many did, um, and I, I understand why because this is a really difficult group. Um, but you know, I think we were all surprised of what they did against Newcastle twice, going in, especially going in with the form that they had, right? Um, so they tended to surprise us when when we suspected the least, like. When they lost to Bayern, and then I said to you, remember, I said to you, Seb, now they're going to go and beat Newcastle. And that's exactly what they did, <laughs> which is so weird. Um, but yeah, um, this Newcastle game is going to be really interesting. And leao was out because of an injury, Stefan. Um, I just checked it. Um, um, was suspected to be out or likely to be out, I guess is the the actual wording. Um, interestingly enough, if Dortmund beat Milan and PSG beat Newcastle that group is done which is wild um, but yeah I guess because this is a bit of a preview then what do you what do we expect I, I think that Dortmund are going to sneak over in here uh, Stefan what do you think
2: um god what do I think I think trying to predict what Dortmund are going to do is suddenly it's is clearly become a Phil's errand um and it's impossible to predict what we're going to get from Dormund. Um I think I mean I still think fundamentally that defence causes them so many issues um, I think Terzic will set up defensively to try and kind of kind of smash and grab uh, result if you will um, I think it'll be a very tight match uh, I really do I think, I think there's a big difference between them playing Milan in the Champions League and them playing D- Gladbach at home who they're expected to throw everything at from the first whistle so I think they're probably better set up for this match in a weird way so I, I think they could get a result yeah I do I do bizarrely enough
0: I think Dortmund win I I think Milan are <laughs> way below what they were when they won the title um, they're not as convincing I think we, we talked about Leao layout. well Leao's a good example of someone that's kind of fallen off his level a um, little bit I would say um, I, I, I completely contrary to everything we've said over the past 25 minutes I just think Dortmund are better Um, and that's not a comment about Italian versus German football don't come after me Serie A Ultras on Twitter please but um, genuinely I just think they have better players they'll be stronger Uh, it's in Germany Um, and nothing I've seen from Milan so far this season suggests that they're headed for you know the latter stages of the Champions League Um, so I I think this will be I I, I think the, the harder tasks have been passed I think the I think oh, just wrote, to correct uh, you New... to accept, it's in Italy. It's in Italy? Yeah, yeah. Did I imagine... In... You know what I'm uh, thinking. Germany I game think was one-class yeah. Yes, you're right. <laughs> well, I've lost all credibility in this part of the conversation, so I'm just going to stay quiet now. <laughs> I actually think it suits them better that the
1: game is in Italy. Because I think they fundamentally play... With they stick to their Tezage's rules better when they don't play at home.
0: That's true. Yeah. They did it
2: at St James's Park. Yeah. Um Yeah. We actually talked about that, I think, a few times after the Champions League shows where um you get a lot of that where big teams who actually want to play defensively can't really do that in front of their own crowds because their fans also demand attacking football. Um That's a great point. Pro- yeah. I think there's I think there's probably a case of that at Dortmund as well. Um which is in itself a problem, especially whenever they come up against Bayern, um or anyone half decent in the Champions League. So yeah, just gonna have to wait and see what happens, I suppose. Yeah. Well
1: guys, before we go, um Seb, how was Frank Schmidt? <laughs> how was how was hanging out with Frank Schmidt? Um, because you got to spend some time with the Heidenheim head coach. I don't think your piece is out yet, right? Because we had people ask after the last time you were on. Um, but how was it? And when is your piece out?
0: No, it's out no, It came out on um, ah, Thanksgiving okay. Day. So um, okay, I was. I fear that was in the, CR the graveyard. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. that. So I, it is out. I'll, I'll send it to you guys in the WhatsApp. But it, Frank Schmidt was a delight to spend time with. He was, um, he was certainly among the most authentic people I've met in football and completely unaffected. Um I I think the best way to to kind of sum it up was I, I spent a couple of hours with him and by the time I left I had no trouble understanding why it is that players play the way they do for him. He's one of those he's got a lot of social skills. He's a very um he's a very human person and he's very likable. And um I think one of the things I, I dislike a little bit about modern football is um, this idea of coaches as high priests, right? Like they, they kind of, they have to stand for something and they take themselves incredibly seriously and and they have kind of, they don't have that sort of capacity for being self-deprecating. Um, Frank Schmidt is, is almost completely the other way. Like he he wants, like I tried to bring up his his coaching record as, you know, becoming the uh, longest Southern head coach in German football history. Was having none of it at all, like he just, you know, it was it wasn't interested in that. Really, really doesn't talk about himself a lot. Talks about the we um, at Heidenheim. Talks about all the people that have been there since he arrived as a player first in two thousand and three, then then a coach. But um yeah, I, I I really I just really enjoyed spending time with him, and I hope what I wrote did him justice because uh, he's a he's a great man of German football and. um you know i believe that more now having met him
2: so yeah it was a real privilege does it feel like a one-man club sir when you go to heidenheim do you feel like everyone's kind of taking the lead off him not really
0: not really because um i met a couple of people there who who so obviously buy into clearly what frank schmidt is doing with the team but also what the club stands for so um obviously heidenheim are in a pretty tricky catchment area because what, two hours from munich hour and a half from stuttgart two massive cities two very very big football clubs um and in response they kind of they offer something slightly different they're a little bit more earthy they're more tangible even even to the extent that if you if you have a look around their stadium the void arena you know even even sort of the sort of the quote unquote corporate areas are very accessible um they're for people to go to not like you know you wants go to the Premier League and it's, you know, a place for millionaires to spend 20 grand a, a Saturday. And the people you talk to have, they just really love the club. And Frank Schmidt has come to define the club um, in football terms, but it feels like, you know, for instance, like the CEO has been there since 1995, I think, 96, 95. They got a goalkeeping coach that's been there since the mid eighties. Uh, they're, sports manager, uh, played with Frank Schmidt, you know, in the, you know, uh, in the regional league back in 2003. Like, so my point being is that um, it's a, it's a great story on a lot of levels. And Frank Schmidt is kind of the first person to point to all the other people who have contributed to it um, and sort of direct your attention away from him towards them. And it, it's, um, you can't help but root for them. Given where they've come from, all they've achieved, and one of the things that I got to see was um, he showed me the video of from inside the coach when they arrived back in Heidenheim um, on the night they won promotion. So they drove back from Regensburg, and um, there were six and a half thousand people in the in the car park waiting for them, and it was like gone midnight. So there's just all these sort of red flares, and you know, and it, it, it was. You know, Frank had his phone out and, um, and uh, you could hear all the players celebrating and dancing around him and you could see how much it meant to him. And um, yeah, it was a lovely experience. It's certainly amongst my best journalistically since I got here. And uh, yeah, they're, they're a great story and they deserve all the credit in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, people should go read it. Um, so it is out, as you said. Um, maybe Stefan, we can maybe link to it as well on the show notes. Um, And give it a read because Sepp is a good writer. Need to add that as well. Yeah, Sepp's fine. Um, yeah. Sepp is yeah. a good writer. He, he just, just uh, doesn't like to admit it.
2: <laughs> Madu, make sure you remind him which website to go to. That is D athletic or Das athletic? D athletic or Das athletic or Der
1: athletic. Uh, or Der which is the German word for <laughs> athletic. <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> Athleticism, athletic, or whatever. Well, no, I'm gonna so look at it, it, it. Just do it. Just do it. I don't know. Like, I think yeah. actually I think actually uh Seb might be right. I think it's das athletic. Um but yeah. Anyways. Um thanks for listening, everyone. As always, the show is brought to you by Baton Lions. Check out Zepp's piece, check out the substack. Um the Monday bulletin is out. Um, obviously Stefan and I both are gonna have our individual pieces out too, the bonus shows. Uh, transfer show coming still and then of course we have Champions League week so Champions League recap later this week and then yeah both Stefan and I will be in Germany next week Um, I'm planning to go to the Bayern game on Saturday so there will be something from that Um, so yeah until next time Auf Wiedersehen